Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Unholy Cow by Pastor Sean Wood. We're going to pray and then come around God's Word. Father, we thank you for your goodness and I thank you that your Word is living and active. And so I pray that your Word would go forth and take root deep in our hearts. Open our eyes, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, um, I'd like to make your way to Exodus chapter 32. The, <clears throat> there was, in the 1960s, there was a mental health institute in America that sought to rehabilitate its patrons back into normal functioning society. But there was one test that they would perform before they would allow anybody to leave. What they would do is they would take a person down the corridor to the janitor's closet. They would put a plug in the sink, they'd turn the taps on, they'd walk away. They had determined that if that person began to pick up a mop and mop up the water, they were not fit to return to normal functioning society. However, if they immediately took the plug out of the sink and dealt with the problem, then they were ready to be reintroduced to society. And today... As we come to Exodus 32, I'd like to introduce you to the plug. For so long and for so often in church circles, we have a thousand ills amongst Christianity that could be cured by pulling this plug that we will unpack today. In fact, if you read to the end of Exodus 32, you will find that God says, because of what happens here, I will send a plague. And there are many plagues amongst the church today, because I wonder whether, in all honesty, as we unpack this chapter, and we're going to read about the Israelites, and we're going to shake our finger and say, you naughty little Israelites, but I wonder whether things have really really changed. I wonder whether we're busy running around with mops, mopping up the water when the plug is still in the sink. Uh, I know wives call these things phases, but us men call them seasons in our lives. And there was a season in my life when I used to like smoothies. Anybody else here like a good smoothie? Yeah. Uh, I used to eat or drink, however you like to call it, depends on how thick it is, right? I used to eat or drink what they call a chocolate banana smoothie. And the beauty of a chocolate banana smoothie is you put uh, some coconut milk in there, you put a whole lot of chocolate protein powder and a whole lot of banana, and it doesn't really matter what you add or blend in later, it's still a chocolate banana smoothie, right? Unless you put kale in there, then you've got to repent. (laughs) and ask for forgiveness. But, but I can remember I used to put in all sorts of herbs and different kinds of things and, and it didn't matter what I blended in, it was still a chocolate banana smoothie. And you know what? When it comes to blending things, that's okay when it's a smoothie. It's not okay when it's God. And we might call that blending and we might call it a smoothie today, but in religious circles it's called syncretism. It's where we take a variety of different ideas and philosophies and we try to blend them all into one and there's an underlying reason often that lies beneath that. 
If you've made your way to Exodus 32, what brings us here? Uh, back in Exodus 24, Moses had come down the mountain and conveyed what God had to say. Uh, then he, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, 70 elders, uh, they all go back up the mountain. But Aaron and the elders only go so far. Uh, we know that Moses goes to the top and there's another man in, Joshua, in uh, uh, Exodus 24 that's mentioned. Remember the name of Joshua. If you're sitting here today, you're going, you know what, I, I aspire to be in leadership in God's house, then go and learn about a man named Joshua. He'll teach you what leadership looks like. Long before he was leading God's people into the promised land, he was a man of the presence of God. Long before he was leading and conquering places like Jericho, uh, what we know about Joshua is he was Moses' assistant. He wasn't looking for a platform, wasn't waiting for his day in the sun. He was just there to be in the presence of God. Uh, in Numbers, we learn of Joshua that when everybody else had left the tent, Joshua would linger in the presence of God. So leadership rule number one, learn to linger in the presence of God. But Moses goes up the mountain and we know in Exodus 24 that uh, God says he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And what brings us to Exodus 32, you could almost start this chapter with, meanwhile, back at the camp. Uh, Moses is up on top of the mountain. Aaron has been left somewhat in charge. And meanwhile, back at the camp, what do we find is going on? Well, let us read what's happening here. When the people saw that Moses delayed... Uh, we are going to see as we work forward that the number one problem in the heart of the Israelites was impatience. Uh, they become impatient and they become restless while they are waiting for Moses. They're at the bottom of the mountain and they're, we don't know what's become of Moses. We don't know what's going on. We've been down here. How long do we have to wait for him to come back down? And while Moses is delaying, they become impatient and they move to a place. Instead of waiting for God to move, we're going to see they've decided we're going to move God. That never works out well. Impatience can be at the bottom of a thousand eels in our lives. Getting in front of God, deciding that we need to move God. We were never called to move God. God moves us. And when the people saw that Moses delayed, they become impatient, they become restless. And when, they, when he delayed to come down from the mountain, they gathered themselves together, which is an interesting term. We do read of this term other places in uh, the Old Testament. And whenever we read about it, it speaks about a, a gathering together for war or for a purpose. But in this case, it's definitely gathering together for rebellion. They had decided, they weren't, we're going to see that when they come to Aaron and they gather together, they're not coming to ask any questions of Aaron, they are coming to lay some demands, which is interesting. They have, it, it's better to put a, maybe it should sound more like this, and they crowded around Aaron and they said to him, oh, listen to these words, up and make us gods. The word God there, 
thank goodness the translators got it right. God's there is translated with a small g. It's not the God, but the term there is Elohim, which is God of gods and Lord of lords. Make us gods. And, and friends, we live in a culture today that is saying exactly the same thing. If I could highlight, if I had the freedom to speak this morning, I would speak of a tide that is rising against the doors of the church. A tide that is rising and we are sandbagging the doors trying to keep it out. But we have a culture today that's saying exactly the same thing as these guys were many thousands of years ago. Make us a God. Make us a God that we can see. Make us a God that we can control. Make us a God that we can, here's the big word, make us a God we can manage. We live in a culture today that says, you know what, make us a God that's kind and and forgiving and and tolerant and and loving and merciful. But we don't want a God that confronts our sin and demands that we live in holiness. We don't want a God that tells us we have to repent. So you, church, you need to make us a God. If you want us to come to your church, you need to make us a God that's manageable. And can I tell you today... The scary possibility is that if you say no to that today, you're possibly moving into a minority. You see, what's happening is there's a sovereignty shift. A sovereignty shift where instead of God being sovereign, we sang about the sovereign God this morning. He's the one that moves in his timing and in his ways. That's the problem with Israel. (laughs) How many today are saying, God, we're happy for you to move in your power And we're happy for you to do things your way, but according to our timing. Well, how many people say, how about you do things our way and in our timing? And there is a tide that is rising that says, make us gods that are manageable. Make us gods that we can control. And for far too long, many in church circles have begun to blend this God. This wonderful, glorious God. And what is going to happen is we will see that what happens here is they take the glory of the Almighty God and they reduce it down to something that is manageable and controllable. There's some really good news before we finish this chapter. But before we go any further this morning, please note, I didn't write this. And the prerequisite is, I love you all. But as as much as we have a culture that's saying that today, and I, I actually think and I actually believe the hardest culture to reach for the for the gospel and for Christ is Western culture, right? Because many in Western culture are what we call post-Christian. That's kind of like we've moved to a point now where we don't need God. Uh, we have all the medical advances we need. We've we've got all the science we need. We're answering all our own questions. We are our own God. We've made our own path. We're kind of post-Christians. We don't need God. And uh, how has that ever? worked out well in history it's always been a big mistake but we have a culture that says we don't want your god your way we we want your god our way we we want to have all of this wonderful heaven and we today's new age movement uh, is all about everything goes And often when we think about the new age we think about that really dark demonic stuff that's out there friends can i tell you today it's just as much in the house of the Lord, seeping in to the house of the Lord because people are wrapped up in experience. Interesting to note, 
under the banner of New Age, many things are listed today. But interesting to note, anything goes when it comes to the New Age movement until you get to Jesus. Because Jesus demands there's one way to God, there's one revelation of God, there's one truth, not subjective truth, there's an objective truth. And the good news today is that there is strong benefits and power for those who will stand on that. Let's keep moving our way through. Uh, uh, Not only do they say that in the culture, but they say that in church circles too. There's there's a pressure in church circles where the audience becomes sovereign instead of God, where where we allow bums on seats to dictate what we do in church. Well, well, we have to... I've heard this word far too often recently. We have to accommodate everybody. We don't have to accommodate anybody. We're not changing God. We're not reducing God. Our call is not to be trying to push back the tide from the door, but to be pushing the tide the other way. Let's read on and see what happens here. Uh, Up make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold. Some translations will say, give me your gold. That's not a phrase we don't hear too often. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters. Remember where they got that gold. Miraculously provided when they left Egypt. And bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it. That's really important because if you fast forward to when Moses comes back down the mountain and Moses confronts Aaron, Aaron's going to say, I just grabbed the gold and threw it in the fire and out came this calf. That's not what happened, Aaron. It didn't just come out of the fire when you've got an engraving tool in your hand. And you were fashioning, and for for Aaron to have fashioned this, he would have had to have melted the gold, he would have had to make a wooden replica and then overlay that with gold. That was the process for what's happened here. And so uh, he fashions it with a graving tool and he made a golden calf. Or as I would like to say today, for those who haven't already picked up on it, he made an unholy cow. And... The golden calf is not a really good representation. It's better translated a young bull. Uh, the word in the Hebrew more references a three-year-old bull. And, and so we might ask the question, why a calf? Why, why not a fish? Well, why, why not worship something reasonable, right? If, you, if you're going to make an image of something, I mean, you may as well. But why, why that? And immediately we begin to see that it's influenced and inspired by those that are around them. For those that know the, uh, the roots of the Baal god in the early times, it was a picture of a bull. The Baal god of the Canaanites. They, these guys came out of Egypt who had many deities that were bovine deities. And the problem we're going to see here is this is not merely idolatry. That would be bad enough, right? But it's not merely idolatry because they go ahead and do something else. They've, they've taken from all the religions they know, they've, they've allowed it to be influenced and inspired probably by the Egyptians, probably by the Canaanites. And, and yes, Canaan is the land that they will possess, but the people that were there before them were, were horribly wicked people. 
But if that wasn't bad enough, they took a golden calf and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Whoa, stop the bus. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar. He built an altar and he made proclamation and tomorrow there shall be a feast. What are they doing? We've made an image of a young bull here. We're, we're building an altar. We're declaring a feast. They're all the things you do when you're worshipping the one true God. We're taking everything from what's around us and we're blending it and we're shaping it and we're moulding it into a God that is comfortable. Everybody today wants a God that is comfortable. Everybody today wants a God. Make us a God that, that, that gives me that promotion. Make me a God that fills my bank account. Make me a God that, that gives me more friends on social media. Make me a God that gives me that international ministry and that huge platform with a huge audience. Make me that kind of God. I don't want a God that confronts my sin. I don't want a God that means I've got to repent. We live in a culture today where they don't even know what the word sin is. Make us a God. Verse 6, and they rose up early the next day. They rose up early the next day. These guys are keen. Real keen. They rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings. Blending. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And what are they saying? Make us a God we can dance around. We, we want to come and we want to dance and we want to have a merry old time. We, we, we want to be able to come to church on Sundays and, and we want to be able to feel good about ourselves and, and, and we want those kind of messages that pump us up and feel good about ourselves and then we want to run out and do everything we were doing before on Monday. Israel wants a God they can control. Israel wants a God that uh, when, when we move, you move. When, when we give sacrifices, when we build altars, then, then you move when we say so. And God has never been like that. God demands that we worship, that we trust, that we surrender, that we obey. Have a look at what happens in verse 7. Oh. Have a listen to what God says to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, go down to your people. The God of gods and the Lord of lords, Jehovah, is evangelically ticked. Go down to, go down to, to your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Let's just open the door and... Why? Because they have, listen to this, they have corrupted themselves. Uh, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5.10 and Isaiah chapter 14, this same word is used and the word destroy and decay is used in those prophecies to use this word. They have destroyed themselves. They have allowed decay to get in. Uh, friends, uh, we're moving towards a pointy end shortly, but can I tell you that decay will set in if we are not diligent. 
for those that uh, used to drive real cars that weren't plastic in the front, remember those days, John? Remember those days when uh, if you were going, if you were driving head on towards a tank, the tank would move to get out of your way uh, when we drove old metal cars. But the problem with the metal cars was if you're not diligent, you could get some rust and you could get some decay. And once it starts, if you don't do something about it, it just continues to eat things out. And it's often in the place. Have you ever noticed that rust is often starts in the place you can't see? It's unnoticed. Until you get in the car. Uh, I've been in one of these cars on a farm. When you get in your car and you put your feet on the floor and they go, straight through. <laughs> and you put your feet up on the dash for the rest of the ride. <laughs> they have corrupted themselves and they have turned aside. And so in a moment, we're going to unpack something as we move forward here. But today, what I hope a couple of things that we grab is that if you're struggling with sin, your struggle with sin is not external. Often we think, well, you know, I'm addicted to pornography, so my problem is the internet and the computer and those images. No, that's not your problem. Well, you know, I, I struggle. I, I struggle with alcohol, and so you know, the problem is the bottle shops. And the, no, that's 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 not your problem. What we will see here, what is the result, and and what is being unpacked here, is that these guys have turned aside, and to turn aside means that they've they've swerved off the path that was put before them. And. Many people here know that every now and again I go fishing and when we arrived in Queensland we found that we couldn't fish from the shore because it's almost impossible for most of the lakes so we had to get a kayak and the first kayaks we got were ones that you had to paddle. That's like Old Testament. That's, you've got to do everything in your own steam and you've got to do everything under your own power and then by God's grace and mercy I got an electric motor. That's like the Holy Spirit, by the way. Uh, you're still doing the same thing, but you're doing it with a different power source, right? Uh, but it doesn't matter whether you're paddling, really, or whether you've got a motor. Uh, the idea with a kayak is if you're not under power, then the influences around you will push you off course. Uh, it doesn't matter how great that motor is in my kayak. If I turn it off and it's blowing a gale, it's not long before I'm getting blown with the wind. You see, the Christian walk is intentional. You have to be under power. Every morning, you, believe it or not, every morning you get up, you're fighting a fight. If you wear the name of Jesus and you belong into the kingdom of God, every morning you open your eyes, you've just in, entered a battle. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be under power. Otherwise, you end up turning aside. Corruption sets in. It's, it's the same thing that happens today as happened in those days. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. James talks about one that gets blown about uh, for those that have read James' epistle. He calls that person a double-minded person or a double-souled person. Uh, He should not think, says James, that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-souled person. Uh, He goes on and says, uh, here's a verse we all love from James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But before that verse, uh, James is demanding that the believers separate their friendship with the world. Then he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then after that, he says, purify your hands, you sinners, and cleanse your hearts, you double-souled. 
Ah, maybe it's a heart problem. Maybe, maybe that pornography thing's a heart problem. Maybe that alcohol thing's a heart problem. Maybe, maybe there's a problem on the inside. You see, the book of Acts records a man by the name of Stephen who stands up and addresses the religious people of the day and he calls them something that, the word that's used here, he calls them stiff-necked. And stiff-necked means God's trying to, trying to turn, but you, you don't want to turn. And in verses 39 and 40 of chapter 7 in the book of Acts, Stephen says, speaking about this time right now, he says, they turned in their hearts back to Egypt. Uh, okay, now we've found the plug. So the problem isn't a golden calf, young bull. The problem isn't all the religions around, by the way. You see, in a moment and in an instant, what has happened here is Aaron and the people of God have allowed all the religions and all the philosophies and all the ideologies around them to shape the God that they worship. And it has always meant to be the other way around is that we as the people of God would live the revelation of God and that we would be the ones that would conform the world around us into the worshippers. What does does Chuck Swindoll say about the book of Exodus? Turning wanderers into worshippers. What a great great phrase. They were a stiff-necked people because they had turned in their hearts to Egypt. And what we see here is that the absence of Moses merely afforded them the chance to worship outwardly how they already were inwardly. They had already turned in their hearts. I have found from personal experience and in my very short pastoral experience is that unless there's a turn in the heart, people will go on doing the same thing. Uh, Actually, what Israel teaches us about the wilderness is, unless there's a turn in the heart, round and round the mountain you go. Where you stop, only God knows. For those that are wondering, we're going to skip a big section and come towards the pointy end now, but for those that are ever wondering, I wonder what intercession really means. Well, I would encourage you to read verses 11 down to 21 where Moses stands in the gap because we need to remember that our God never changes. uh, The Old Testament God that we see here is not the God that forgot to take his meds one morning. That's not what happened here. Uh, What happened between there and the New Testament is Jesus. Uh, but we still have a God that becomes angry, furious at his people dancing around sacred cows that they have fashioned and formed for themselves. But Moses stands in place of the people and prays for them. Verse 21, we come down to, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any of you that has gold take it off. Here's what he says. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) You naughty little boy, Aaron. Sometimes lying is telling something that's untrue 
And sometimes lying can be classified as not telling the whole truth. Uh, Aaron, I think you may be guilty of both. Verse 25, uh, interesting part here. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose. For Aaron had let them break loose. And I thought that was an interesting word, but the, the term to break loose means to be, to be out of control. It means to be uh, free and easy. It means you don't care about anything anymore. All of a sudden, the rule book's out. Breaking loose means, you know what? We've thrown out the instruction manual. Uh, ladies, you know when you buy that thing from Ikea and you bring it home and, and, and you ask your husband to put that piece of furniture together and he says, I don't need the instructions and he throws them out? <laughs> It's just broken loose. And, and, and you went to Ikea to buy a table and you end up with a dining chair. But, but the term to break loose, and friends, if I can be serious for a moment, there is far too much breaking loose in the house of God. Far too much of this is what we want today. This is what we think. This is the kind of God we want to worship. Yes, we want to worship this God, but we want to... We don't want to talk about sin and all those naughty, nasty words, but breaking loose is a term that I struggle to understand because in the Hebrew, it's like an untethered hair. You know when, you t- you know when your hair's all undone and the wind's blowing it everywhere? Uh, that's right, I don't. Uh, people ask me, why do you keep your hair so short? Maintenance. Far easier when it's like this, Robin. You're, blessed be the name of the Lord. I love what you're doing with your hair, Brian. I think it's wonderful. But... But it speaks of the same thing, just out of control. We've broken loose. We've thrown out the rule book. We're going to take bits and pieces, bits and pieces of the rule book here. And so it's, we, we want to take little bits and pieces as we work our way through. So it at least sounds like Christianity, but at the end of the day, we're just having a big party. You see, these guys aren't worshipping, they're partying. And we can stand here today and say, well, you naughty little Israelites for what you did, worshipping instead of partying, but it's been prevalent in the house and the people of God ever since. Uh, You can come through to the early church. Uh, Jesus has been, and Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. These guys were, if these guys are having a party, the Corinthians were the nightclub. These guys didn't swing from the rafters. They pitched a tent and slept up there. These guys were partying, and Paul writes to the Corinthians, it's a rebuke. You know when we get to 1 Corinthians 13 and we read this wonderful language in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, and we think, oh, what wonderful language. No, Paul is slapping them in the face because what he's saying is, you guys want all of this spiritual experience, but you can have all of that spiritual experience, but if you don't have love, it's the party spirit. I love what Moses does next. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose, verse 26, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and he said, who is on the Lord's side? What Moses does here is he draws a line in the sand. It's not... The first, it's not the only time it will happen in Scripture, Joshua 24. What does Joshua say? Choose you this day whom you will serve. 
But that's not the only instances either, because there will be a time when Elijah is standing at the bottom of Mount Carmel and he's talking to the people of God. And he uses really interesting language when he says this. Why do you limp between two opinions? That's what he's saying to the, to the people of God. Why, or in the Hebrew, it could be better sounding, why do you dance with every partner on the dance floor? Why do you just go about dancing with whoever's on the dance floor? What Elijah says to the people of God, if God is God, then choose this day. Today, I have a question to ask everybody in this room. And the weeks and the months from here on in will probably reveal this more as time goes on. But I want to ask today, who's on the Lord's side? Today, I'm not interested in what's happening in America. I'm not not interested in what's happening in the church down the road. I'm not interested in all of those things right now. Right now, I'm asking everybody in this place and in this church, who is on the Lord's side? If we're honest with ourselves, how many unholy cows do we dance around? I love the response. I'm going to ask the elders, uh, the servants, if they could hand out the emblems. Thank you. The Levites' response is wonderful because it proves two things straight away. The Levites aligned themselves with Moses, kind of being the only ones that did because uh, there was many thousands of people there. But what the Levites teach us is a message that I think Jesus came to bring to all of us as well. First one is there's no neutrality. There was no middle ground. There was no, well, you know what, we're kind of one foot over here and one foot over here. There's, you, you are either on the Lord's side or you're not. Second thing which is very encouraging is throughout Scripture, whether it was the time of Elijah, whether it was the time of Joshua, or whether it's right now, what the Levites help us to understand is God always has a righteous remnant. God always has, no matter how small that number may be, God always has a remnant of people that say, you know what, we're going to worship God. We're going we're gonna to worship God and glorify him. We're going to live for him. We're going to surrender our hearts to him. Well, we don't care what everybody else says. We don't care what gods they worship in Canaan. We don't care about all the gods they used to worship in Egypt. We're going to worship God as we have been instructed and according to the revelation that he has given us. And what I pray is that no matter what happens from this day forward, that this church and everybody that aligns with the rock church will be known as those people. Lord, we don't care what everybody else says. We're going to worship you. We're going to live according to your word. But there was a moment when Jesus drew a line in the sand. And as we come around his table, I, I wonder, you know, Moses, if you read through the account of Exodus 32, you'll read a time when uh, Moses comes down the mountain and he hears the sound and he sees them dancing around the calf. And, and I guess in their minds, they thought this Moses is never going to come back, right? He's never going to come back down the mountain. It's not going to matter. We're going to do whatever we want. We've lost patience. We don't know what is what next. And, and I wonder whether that's too far removed from our day. You see... 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into this planet, the God-man. And many people missed him. 
What Jesus highlighted is that heaven may well be full of tax collectors and prostitutes and hell may well be full of religious folk. And we live in a time now that is not too far removed from the Israelites. That there will be a day when our Lord and Saviour will come down. And the question I have for everybody in this room is when he returns, will he find you dancing around a calf or will he find you waiting? John chapter 6 deals with what I like to call fair weather worshippers. (laughs) We'll follow Christ as long as there's something in it for us, right? That's what these guys were in John chapter 6. They had, they had been through the feeding of the 5,000. They kept following Jesus to get more bread. Then Jesus introduces a teaching which we are now going to come around the Lord's table, a teaching about experience. You see, we live in a culture and a time today when everybody wants to experience God. And I've got some really good news for you today. We have that possibility. Because of Christ, that's what the tabernacle is all about. The tabernacle is all about the fact that God had promised that he wanted to be with us, he desires to be with us, us and what exclusion zones were in the tabernacle, Jesus tore them down so that we could live in close communion and fellowship with God. And we ask ourselves, how is that? How can we possibly experience God? How can we possibly know this God? It's the Holy Spirit. There is a place in John where Jesus says that the counselor will come and he will take of what is the Father and the Son and he will testify to you. He will make it real. Experience. Jesus says, if, if you want to have a part in me, then you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus didn't mean that, literally. We know that. But many took offence. And if Jesus was running a church today, he'd be sacked. Because his congregation went from a very large congregation to just 12 men. But I love the conversation to those 12 men. John chapter 6, we'll start at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. Do you want to go away as well? Are you a fair weather worshipper, Peter? Do Do you want to go with these guys now? Simon Peter. Now, couple of things to note about Peter. Peter didn't have footy mouth disease. He was half Tasmanian, which meant he, he managed to get both feet in at the same time most of the time. But this time he gets it right. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Messiah. You're the God-man. You're the Holy One. Peter says this before the cross. Peter says this before Pentecost. I love this phrase. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you? (laughs) And for a moment, have a think about that. Have a look at the blokes he chose. The only thing they had going for them was most of them were fishermen. (laughs) Peter could not read or write. 
He had to get somebody else to write his two epistles. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark from the mouth of Peter because he couldn't write. They, these guys weren't educated. They weren't smart. They didn't come from the temple. They didn't even descend from really good heritage. No, but Jesus chose them. Jesus chose Judas. Because he says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? I'm going to read that passage. And as we come around the table of the Lord, I, I remember that, forget these guys, I remember that there was a time when Jesus chose me. When I was just as lost, when the only thing that was going for me was I was a fisherman. Jesus chose me. He chose Michael. He chose Terry. He chose you, Josh. He chose us. Despite who we are, to be his disciples and to be his children. Today, and every morning, he asks us to choose him. To elect him to be number one. That word choose means, uh, in the Greek, is electos. It means to elect. It means that there was a point in time when, when despite all of your past, Victor, God walked up and said, I choose you. And today I want to ask everybody in this room, do you choose him? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he passed it to his disciples and he said, take and eat for this is my body which is broken for you. Lord, this morning as we gather together around your table in communion and in fellowship, we remember the price that you paid to bring us home. The price that you paid to place the finger of God in our lives. You found us, Lord. You, you sought us, Lord. You, you have saved us. And so today we proclaim the Lord's death, says your word, until you come. While we wait here for you to move in your way and in your timing, we, we proclaim the glorious death of our Saviour, which purchased redemption for us. So, Father, we eat together in your presence this morning. And this morning... As we drink the cup together, if you are physically able, as a sign before the Lord that says, I choose you, would you stand with me today? In the presence of the Lord. And by standing, just a simple act of standing, we stand together before the Lord and we say, we choose you. And let us drink together in the presence of our Lord. Father, many thousands of years, Moses 
ago, Moses stood at the bottom of a mountain and said, who is on the Lord's side? And each one of us is here because there was a moment in time when you came and you chose us. And so today we say we are on your side. Lord, we surrender. We declare that you are the one who is sovereign, not us. We declare that it is you that moves us, O Lord. We do not move you. And I thank you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you moved towards each and every one of us. And so we are so grateful. We are so thankful. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.